Hi everybody, I'm Ralph Benmergi. Welcome to my podcast, Not That Kind of Rabbi. No, I'm not actually a rabbi. But if I was a rabbi, I wouldn't be that kind of rabbi. I think you know what I'm talking about. Because I certainly don't know what I'm talking about. I'm just saying something because the microphone is on. Um, uh, Jeez, there's things on my mind, things I want to talk about. Uh, But you know what? I have a great guest. So instead of me ranting and raving, and I'd rather just talk to my guest because I haven't seen him in a long time. So it's an important thing to just say hi. So Michael Wilner, Mike Wilner, voice of the Blue Jays. He's here. He's looking right at me. And I'm going to say hello. 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 And I kind of want to hear you rant and rave a little bit. Well, okay. Then I will. Um, Spirituality and sports. I will rant and rave for a moment on that. Um, You know, there are people who say they don't believe in religion. Lots of people. And yet, they do. Because they paint their faces blue and white and show up at games and stand uh, and watch jets roar over their heads and, and, and have military people march in front of them for no apparent reason just because they're watching a game of some sort uh, and become rabid fans and run out into the streets when a World Series is won and say that was the peak moment of my life. And when you ask them what they believe in, they say Robbie Alomar Jr. You know, they, this is what people do. And... They have transferred, it would seem, that what used to be the miracles that would happen became, you know, the Joe Carter home run. It was a miracle. It was the it, it changed everything in my life. I was at that game, actually. I wasn't. No, oh, I was at that game, and things blew up. Uh, it was an incredible moment. I was sitting there, and I was sitting in a seat where you couldn't tell if the ball was foul or fair as it was going over the fence part, and I was right there and thought, was that fair? I thought, was that fair or, and the entire stadium, literally, I could feel lifted. It was, it was a, a like an, a, literally an earthquake happened, and everyone was beyond themselves, and I really mean in a spiritual sense, beyond themselves. <laughs> they were all one with the ball. And all one with Joe. And watching him go around those bases, and Joe is a, a, a man of belief. Jesse Barfield, mm-hmm. you know what? He goes to a church, uh, Joel Osteen's church in Houston, the mega church. I saw him there. I was doing a documentary, and they said, well, want to introduce you to somebody who, who, who'd been in Canada. And I said, well, what? like we all know everybody who right. lives in Canada. You know, Ernie, who lives in Saskatoon. Uh, and they go, this is Jesse Barfield. I'm like, oh my God, it's Jesse Barfield. <laughs> so he was one of my saints. You know, he had the arm of of, of, a, of a warrior. So we do believe and we want to believe. And sports sometimes is that place where we, we reside in belief. And for me, the sport that personifies this the most is baseball. Because I resonate with the pastoral sense of the game. The wood, the grass. The, the elements of nature, the, the lack of, of overt violence and the nuance of the game, the tensions that build up over periods of time where you just think nothing's happening, nothing's, oh my God, something, nothing's happening, nothing's happening, oh my God. I love that. I love that tension. So um, I'm going to talk to somebody who understands that and also talk to him about his own particular uh, faith and tribe and where he comes from and all of that. Mr. Wilner. I've ranted. I liked it. That was that was good stuff. And it, you know what? It made me think a little bit too about the, the fact that you're right, and and we're seeing it now um, as this Houston Astros sign stealing scandal plays out. How um, it is almost a blind faith thing. If Ooh. you're a fan of the Astros, well, I mean, maybe you can kind of admit that they might have done something wrong but everybody else is doing it too don't just look at us mm. you know it's 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 i used the word tribalism a couple of days ago and somebody told me that that was offensive to indigenous people and that that's something that i wasn't aware of mm. so if okay. it is i apologize but uh, but that's the sort of the feeling i get that everyone is in their group and and sports fandom is Sort of the same way as sure. As look a religion. at look You're at the way following fan, this. Yeah, fan, look at the way fans treat opposing players. You know, uh, when I was a kid, the hockey night in Canada second intermission was always a profile of a visiting player. 
and you'd see the family. Mm-hmm. You'd see him with his kids. And the next thing you know, they'd come out for the third period, and you actually were kind of hoping the guy did okay out there, even though he wasn't a Leaf. You know, so it, the humanization is, is hard to get because you hate them. You hate that player. You hate that team. You know, I hate the New England Patriots, right? You right. Know, I, people, and you're the not damn, alone. Right, yeah. <laughs> the damn Yankees. Yeah. Well, with the New England Patriots, I might hate them more because such a talented team and they still had to cheat. Right, same with the Houston same Astros. Same with the Houston right? Astros. Why same would with you still Barry cheat? Bonds. Right. You know, and he's Rose. completely vilified across all of baseball except in San Francisco right. where they adore him. So what is it about sport, you think, that made you think, I love this, this I got to do? You know, I, I I really don't know. I think that, that it's just, I mean, better than a real job is, is the answer that I, I give <laughs> a lot of the time, right? And you know that well, too, yeah. just broadcasting in general. But, I mean, it's it's just such a... Um, a wonderful thing to be able to do for a living. What I do for work is what people do to get away from right. everything, right? To to relax and enjoy for three hours. But it could it, could it have been any sport? I mean, ba- baseball, baseball was always, it didn't have to be because I, I don't think anyone of us is like in the position to, to dictate that level of, hey, I want to go into this. I mean, I know I realize all the time how incredibly lucky I am. Like, I think I have one of, what, there are 60 radio, major league radio broadcasters or, or maybe 70 or 80 uh, in the world to be one of those. It's it's ridiculous. Um, I had an opportunity to work in hockey um, when I was not quite starting out, but uh, when I started... I did everything. You know, I was at the last game of the Gardens and the first game of the ACC. I was at the mm-hmm. Raptors' first game. I covered the Argos. I, I was, um, I was a public address announcer for Toronto Roadrunners <laughs> roller hockey. Right? Um, yeah. So I, I've done everything, and I, I was. Um, it's interesting you you brought up that hockey night story because when. The one time that I was kind of sought after was when um, Scott Ferguson had left the fan and when Sportsnet Radio was starting. And I was working at 680, and I was uh, uh, the noon to 7 sportscaster. And uh, I got two calls in one weekend, and one was from the fan. Hey, you know, you interned here in 1993, and we remember (laughs) that you like baseball a lot. So we've got this opening. And the other one was from Sportsnet Radio. And it was, we want you to come here. And it was like a syndicated radio thing. And um, Jim Lang was running it. Mm. Hazel May worked there. Uh, and they said, do you want, we want you to come be our afternoon drive sports guy. And I was sort of negotiating both ways. And, and obviously leaning towards the fan because it was being on a major league broadcast and doing baseball. And that was always the pull for me. Um, and Sportsnet Radio, <clears throat> excuse me, uh, at one point said, okay, well, if you come here, you can do the second intermission on our Sportsnet <laughs> TV hockey broadcast. Oh, wow. I thought, wow, that would really be something. <laughs> but uh, ultimately, it fell short of being able to do baseball. And, and so, yeah, I mean, I could have, I could have. Yeah, yeah, could have. You know, who Could have, would have. So you no, know, what? I, I won't won't go with that because I, I've made the right choice for sure. Yeah, 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 yeah. So one of the things I always find interesting when I'm listening to you is uh, you don't hide being Jewish. No, what? I can't. Sure, you can. Lots of people do. I mean, yeah, I guess one can. I can't. I don't think. Why it's, not? Because it's, it's so firmly ingrained in in who I am, um, and not necessarily the. Um, you know, the strict ritual of it. Obviously, you can't be a, a strictly observant <laughs> Jew and work in baseball because yep. there's a game every Friday night and a game every Saturday. Yeah. Um, but but just, I think it just informs everything, you know? And, and um, how so? Just the way I was brought up, the, the, the fact that I went to uh, Jewish day school all the way through high school. So, uh, you know, that, that was a core piece. Um, the, and you know, you're, it's, it's different, right? Mm-hmm. You're, you, 
you blend in, but uh, you're different. And the and the way it works, I mean, part of I don't know. I'm telling you this, but oh, no. yeah, yeah. but um, but part of uh, a, a major part of of being Jewish is um, intellectual curiosity and asking why and searching. You know, like there's no blind faith in Judaism. There, there you're not that kind of rabbi, but the that kind of rabbis, you're encouraged to ask questions. And why is this like this? And why do we think this? And why is this what we believe? And and you know, not take things at face value. And and I think that's that's a big part of how I do what I do. And and I think that that's that informed a lot of what I did when I was hosting Jay's talk because I took nothing at face value and I challenged people to to defend their opinions with facts and, and, and tell me why they thought the way they think. Mm -hmm. Um, but yeah, I I just think it's, it's, it's ingrained. Jay's talk was like a Talmudic dyad. (laughs) Two people, one tractate and you had to argue it. Nobody's ever said that before, (laughs) but but I appreciate it. Right. Somebody just, you know, Mike, by the way, half the people who called, I just felt for you, but you know, Mike, I think, uh, we got to trade so-and-so. And And then I always hear you say, well, I don't understand why you would think something like that because of this stat, that stat, this stat, that stat, and this stat and tradability, tradability. And then they were left with, yeah, like I was saying, <laughs> I, I really think you should trade the guy. He's a lot of times that happened, but a lot of time, but but enough times, yeah, um, <laughs> to keep someone, you going. Right, saying yes. a caller would say, you know what, I hadn't thought about it that way, or yeah, you're right, I, I, I you know, you're clouded, and and when you're doing a post game call in show, right, the the all the callers. Very rarely does someone pick up the phone to call a radio station and say, hey, things are great. I'm very pleased. Right? <laughs> but Just wanted to say very nice game today. Yeah, exactly. Very nice. Um, but uh, uh, I think that, that the few times that someone said, you know what? I hadn't thought about it that way. Or, yeah, I, I was all like riled up, but you're telling me what's really going on. That's good. That, that sort of kind of kept me going a little. You know, there were <clears throat> times when Jewish holidays would happen and you would, you know, say, so hug Sameach, everyone. Yeah, every once in a while. Yeah, and, you know, that's a choice. And like, I give that, hearty muzzle tovs all the hearty time. Hearty muzzle yeah. tovs. And, and the first time I heard that, because I used to do that as well on radio and TV, and, you know, sometimes a friend was like, you know, you're kind of, you don't have to say that, right? Mm. And for me, it actually became a thing where I thought, well, you want me to hide I don't want to hide. It's it, like I, I can say Merry Christmas to people. I can say right. all kinds of, but you know, from where I come from, there's a whole bunch of people who would like someone to know that they're out there. And I think that's really valid. And I've gotten a lot of feedback saying, you know, it's great to hear that kind of stuff. And do you ever get negative on that? Yeah, I've, I've someone called. Uh, there was a caller that I think we dumped before it went on the air, but said hook knows something wow. and something else. Wow. Yeah, and there's a danger of, of yeah. you know, especially now, um, more so than at any other point in my lifetime, I think, that there's a, a, a danger in being that out, um, which is, it's frightening and sad at the same time. Um, but, I mean, there's... So what it, makes it, you do it anyway? The cat's out of the bag by now, and, and I don't think I would pull back. Um, regardless, I mean, I did, I don't talk about my children anymore because of something that happened years and years ago um with uh somebody online um so that i'm not going to put them right. I, I don't feel like i'm putting them in danger but i, I you know well except that you're, you're speaking for them and you'd rather they speak well, when no, they want just, to for themselves I'd, right i'd rather people not know yeah um you know, I don't ever put pictures of my kids on yeah, social I, I media. Won't, I won't put a picture like of my kid up either. There and there was this thing when Kobe Bryant died. Uh, there was this girl dad hashtag circulating around the internet, um, or, or circulating on on Twitter, I guess, and Instagram. And I'm a very proud girl dad. I have two daughters, but I didn't put a picture up. I I, I right. said something, but yeah, no, that I won't do. Um, but are they brought up with Jewish things? Yeah. Like you've taken them to Israel and things like yeah. that, yeah. 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 How? What role does being Jewish play in your life now? Because, like you said, it's not like you can take 
the Sabbath off. Right. Yeah. <laughs> you know, and there's probably a little moment in you that goes, well, I could never do that. I would ruin my career. I can't say, I, by the way, I don't work Friday night and Saturdays. Right. right. Yeah. There was a, there was a pitcher when I was growing up, or I guess in the eighties, um, for the Texas Rangers named Edwin Correa. And he was a seventh day Adventist. Uh, and he did not pitch on Saturdays ever. And everybody who's Jewish knows Sandy Koufax didn't pitch right. on Yom Kippur. Didn't pitch on Yom Kippur. The, that there's a little bit of. You, and there are certain holidays where you don't. I don't you're work not on holidays. Yeah. Right. So Dan Shulman, who is Jewish, he doesn't work on Kol Nidre, ah, which is the which is the, the night of before the, the night day that Yom, Yom, Kippur Yom Kippur starts. Right. Yeah. The Jewish calendar. This is for the listeners. Ralph knows this well. The, the <laughs> Jewish calendar begins at sundown. So, um, so the night before and then the day of of the holidays if you look on your calendar and a calendar says yom kippur is october 11th it really starts on sundown october right. 10th it's always sundown the day before which, um, which can sometimes get you in trouble because you really did think it would start on a wednesday it's like <laughs> your mother calls it's tuesday you yeah, nuts yeah yeah um <laughs> Yeah, but but so yeah, so I I I've made that choice to not work the high holidays, and and I've made a further choice um, now that I've reached the point. Like I, I've never felt incredibly stable um, in my career, um, but now that I, I have, I've, I've also made the choice that I'm not going to work on Seder nights. Oh yeah, either for Passover. Because, yeah, yeah, because I don't I don't want to be that person who is always putting work ahead of right time with important time with family. Right. So this year, the first uh, Passover Seder is an off day for the Blue Jays. And then, so I'll miss one game for the second one. And uh, Yom Kippur, which is the holiest day on the Jewish calendar is actually the day after the regular season ends. So I have to miss the last game of the season. I have wow. to drive home from Cleveland um, on the Sunday morning to to get home, but I'll miss the last game of the season, and that that kind of sucks. But I don't think do they'll be an independent race then. So ah, you never know. You never know. You never know. You never and know. if they are, you ne- then it won't be the last game of the season. If the, and the sad part is that if they are, and they have to play a tiebreaker on the you Monday, won't I won't there. be able to be there. Yeah. So how do your employers take to the idea that you're saying there are religious reasons why I'm not showing? They up? have never given me a hard time about it. Nelson Millman was the program director when I started with the fan. He's Jewish. Um, I don't know that he would take those days, but I, I, I don't know. I'm never around. Um, but, but he, he, he but never he had a problem it. with it. Yeah. yeah. He never had a problem with it. And on each successor has, has not either. And I, I appreciate that. I really do. So you said something earlier where you, you were talking about anti-Semitism and mm. you were saying it's now you're much more aware of it. It's worse than it's ever been in your lifetime. I think so. So how does that manifest itself when you open your mouth and say to people, I'm Mike Wilner and I'm proud of being Jewish. You know, do you feel like you're putting yourself in a vulnerable position or do you think, you know what, you're not going to count, you know, make me bow my head and pretend I'm something I'm not. I'm going to tell you what I am. Like, what does it do to you? Both. I think yeah. both those things. Yeah. Um, I, I think I am putting myself in a vulnerable position to, I don't know, quite know how it would, that would manifest itself. I, I hope not with, uh, you know, any sort of violence or anything like that, but I don't think we're at that point yet in the world, but um, where, where it's not safe or where it's where it's specifically unsafe to be Jewish, but you know, you the thing happened in Pittsburgh yeah. uh, at the Tree of Life. There, there's um, whenever I walk into a synagogue, there's security there, and and uh, it's it's always been. I mean, I've always thought from as far back as I can remember that when you're in synagogue with a gathering, a lot of Jewish people, something bad could happen. It hasn't, which is wonderful, but it's I mean, funny. I don't think that I'm glad. I don't know why I don't, I, I, you know, and the other part of me, I think that that second part of that equation, which is I'm not going to hide. That's not going to solve anything. And I don't want to lose the pride of being who I am. Hmm. Right. And it does define the, some of the ways we think and do things. Why do you think, why do people hate us? 
<laughs> this is the eternal question. I need the answer. Wow. And I think you've got it, Wilner. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I'm the one who's going to solve this. Uh, I just think it's a it's people look to blame people other than themselves when things don't go right for them. It's, it's very difficult for um, in human nature to be so self-aware as to say, you know, my life isn't going that well. It's probably because of some of the choices I've made. And for a lot of people, that's the way it works. And now, now there's systemic racism, obviously, that exists in the world. And, sure. and there are people who... Privilege, right, all these things. People who, no matter what they do, are so start so far behind the eight ball and has nothing to do with anything that they do that, that they can overcome it. Um, but but I think that, that there are a lot of people who, you know, there, there's this sense that Jews run the banking system and the media and all of that stuff, which, I mean, I would be doing a hell, hell of a lot better <laughs> if that was true. Um, yeah, and that's certainly not the case. But, but I mean, that's that's been the... The trope. The, yeah, the forever, story. right? Yeah. Forever and ever. Well, you know, I always think that there's also, a, a, for the most part, an insidious nature to the fact that uh, many Jews are Caucasian. Mm-hmm. And the dominant culture of white Christian would, would say, I didn't see him coming. Oh, there he is. Which is a little worse for them than, Oh, the color of your skin tells me, or the the fact that you're Asian or native Canadian or whatever it is, I see you coming. And there's something about us that we sort of sneak up on them. I, I, Booga booga. Never thought of it that way <laughs> because we're not doing anything bad to sneak up about. But but yeah, it's 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 less easy to other yeah. a lot of Jewish well, people. Well, we're the last, sometimes in, in these gradations of, of xenophobia, we become, once they start going after other kinds, you, you end up at the Jew, but you don't start with the Jew in most cases because we're not as visible as we used to be, mm-hmm. right? You don't have... European shtetl jewelry. Have right. you ever have you ever been to uh, you know March for Life? Or no, any? or Auschwitz or anything like that. I've, I've never, never, never. I've done never that been. Either. I don't know. I mean, I'm Moroccan, so it's a different experience mm-hmm. for me. But I don't know what it would do. When you were growing up, wh- how did things like Holocaust define your personality? Well, I mean, when you go to a um, a Jewish day school, you're learning about it from day one, right? Mm-hmm. I I think that you know. That a good thing? It's it's not a bad thing. Well, it's such an unbelievable thing to have to absorb at a young age. Yeah. Yeah, but now I think they teach it in grade 10 in public schools. Right. So, um, you know, my kids had friends in like junior high school who weren't aware wow. of the Holocaust. Wow. Um, who didn't believe that such a thing could happen or anything like that. Um, but yeah, it's, it's, a, I mean, it's a central tenet to, to Jewish education is, Hey, this happened a third of, of us or half, I think at the time were wiped out from 13 million. Of European, to yeah. Yeah. Um, and now it's, it's back up to like, I don't know, 14 or 15 million, or maybe it went from 18 to 12. I don't know. Um, but yeah. And that's, that's always you, they observe Yom HaShoah, which is Holocaust Remembrance Day. Um, you're very aware that this, this happened and it happened in the relatively recent past. I mean, I had teachers who were Holocaust survivors. Yeah, so did I. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. You could see the tattoo on their arm Mm -hmm. when they were at the chalkboard. And I didn't know what to make of it because while being Moroccan, we weren't in the epicenter of it. We were in North Africa. If, if Rommel would have won, we would have had a serious problem in Morocco. Um, but he didn't win, Montgomery won, so we were sort of okay. But when I would watch these 8-millimeter uh, films of, of corpses being pushed into open pits and people starving and people being shot in gas chambers, and, you know, I was like maybe eight. Right. And yet... I don't know that it was a bad thing that I saw that at eight. Yeah, and I don't think it was for me either. And and I, now I'm I continue to, um, you know, I follow Auschwitz and I'm looking for their official Twitter handles because I think it's important that as many people as possible uh, follow them, even if you're just like tweeting or or scrolling past it. They they put some 
serious stuff up every day, uh, anniversaries of birthdays of, of people who were killed in the camp and, and uh, or sorry, murdered in the camp. Um, and I think it's at Auschwitz Museum. Well, but. you wonder, like, when you go to a, a Holocaust museum, you did that in Jerusalem, I assume I did that. I didn't, actually. Didn't you? Wow. Oh, I haven't been to the Washington one. I heard it's quite it incredible. Is, it is at Auschwitz Museum, by the way, on Twitter. At and, Auschwitz. And it's worth a follow. Um, I, I haven't been to the one. I haven't been to a Holocaust Memorial Museum, I don't think. Oh, I've yeah. been to memorials. Should go to the wa- I I'm, I haven't gone to the Washington one. Everyone tells me it's incredible. Yeah, I've heard. That I mean, too. you wonder though. It, it, do we become? F- there's intergenerational trauma that happens with these things, and you pass this on as an unbelievable, unbelievable story that of of what human beings are capable of. And the thing for me as a kid is that I always thought we should expand this conversation that it's not just about us. That Rwandans were killed one million at a time. You know, in 30 days. Yeah, we're not the only genocide by any means. Right, but it was sold to me as a kid as it's about us. And I, I, I think I fought that. And it's just like, no, no, it's about humanity. And it's about what people can do to each other. So you got to be careful, right? Maybe. I mean, this one, that, that, that one was about us. And, uh, and well, it well, was. I mean, there was also gypsies and, and homosexuals and, and lots of... Slavics people. Yeah. You know, there was a, a two million Poles who were killed. Even though there was rampant anti-Semitism in Poland. Right, but they weren't killed because they were specifically Polish. Well, they were killed. No, they were killed as, as Slavic peoples, mm. right? And the, the Nazis despised Slavic people and hunted them down. No, it, it's, it's an inhumanity. So with your own daughters, if they bring home a guy yeah. and he's not Jewish, how are you going to be? Their mother's not Jewish, so what can I say, right? <laughs> it's, it's not Well, like, you blew that one. Yeah. yeah. She didn't convert? No. She didn't. Oh, then she doesn't have a good guilt gene. Where she's, I'll well, do she this for Catholic, them. She's Catholic, so she's got oh, the Catholic. guilt gene. I, I've noticed Catholics don't convert that much really? when they marry Jews. No, they're like, the gravitational pull for them is as strong as it is for us. I'm Catholic, I'll always be a Catholic. Even if I don't go to church, I'm still a Catholic. Right. And a lot of people, yeah, think that for sure. But a lot of a lot of Jews think that too. Right? How did your parents feel when you decided you were going to marry somebody who wasn't Jewish? One was okay with it. One was less so. <laughs> um, I'm going to guess your dad was less so. Yeah, that's a good guess. Yeah, no, that's usually the way it goes. The mother loves you as a son and goes, okay, if you're happy, I guess. And the father gets to do the true, true part, which is, I really don't like this. <laughs> what did we raise you for? Yeah, that's interesting. And yet your kids have a sense of being Jewish. Yeah, they do. I sent them to the same school that I, I went to. I mean, when when I got married, part of what we you always negotiate and compromise and things like that, that the, the kids would be raised Jewish and sent to Jewish school and learn all this stuff. And, okay. and so, yeah, we did that. We, we dipped them in the mikveh when they were born. And Oh, okay. So, so they did the conversion. Yeah. Oh, Okay, so they see themselves as Jewish. Yes, they do. Wow. And when you took them to Israel? Yep. And what did they think? They, I mean... Besides, it's hot. Yeah, it, was, it wasn't that. It was, it was pretty nice. We went over winter break. Um, oh, yeah, and there. it was like, you know, all the things that they learned in school sort of came to life because right. um, the school that I went to and that they went to was more of a... Um, less religious and more secular and Zionist and all it is very Israel centered. Um, Bialik is the name of the school. Um, and, uh, so you learn a lot about Israel. They have an Israel interactive center now there at the school and, and it's, it's, it's really cool. And so it's less about ritual and learning prayers and, and all that sort of stuff as it is about, you know, Jewish, humanism or or you know love of israel right, and right. all that stuff so it it really did sort of like this is this is the stuff we've been learning about these are the pictures we've been seeing and it felt very comfortable for all of us and i had never been there i didn't go till i was i think 44 oh wow yeah okay. and it just felt really really comfortable yeah it's a strange thing to be the dominant culture yeah right it's like you don't you can see why 75%, used to be 80% of Jews in Israel see themselves as secular. 
just the way so many people here, Christian people here, see themselves as secular mm-hmm. because it's already here. Like you don't have to look for a Christian society. This is a Christian society right. in many ways. And there you go there, and all of a sudden on a Friday afternoon, the energy is building because it's about to shut down for a day, day and a half. People are taking already off work. They're running into the supermarkets. It's all part of the same energy of, mm-hmm. of knowing, oh, my God, we're all, oh, you, you're Jewish too. I, I was there at Christmas Day shooting a documentary, and I'm looking around thinking, this feels really weird to me. Why? And then I realized, oh, it's Christmas Day, and there's not one Christmas light. There's not one sale. There's not, you know, there's no uh, Miracle on 34th Street playing at, at home. There's nothing going on. This is not happening here. I was there New Year's Eve, New Year's Day, and I found it also really right. odd that there was no big New Year's stuff. No, because New Year's isn't then. Right. It's in the it's fall. In September. But yeah. the, what's interesting now is one in five Israelis is Russian, and the Russians do something called Sylvester on New Year's uh, Eve. They have a dinner, a big dinner party. That's what they do with their with their friends. So they bring that. They also have Christmas trees and buy ham. Really? Because, yeah, because that, that remnant of Soviet Russia was still Christian. They mm-hmm. still did that sort of thing. So... <laughs> That's really interesting. Yeah, it's very... So we went and shot at someone's house, a Russian couple's house, and they were having a big party. And then we went out on the street and there's no New Year's Eve at all. Mm-hmm. Right? Nothing. Which was just wild yeah. because of what, what we live in we're sort of these strange fish going through this thing do you ever you, i did this with uh, steve pakin and i were watching a, a baseball playoff game once on tv and there were some jewish players so he he knew one and i knew the other one just like <laughs> he's jewish he's jewish and so then what we started to do was we we just looked at all the fans and then every once in a while we go, that one, that one's Jewish. Really? <laughs> yeah, on the TV. You'd see these kids, these people in the crowd and think, yeah, that, I bet you that one's Jewish. That's that's <laughs> interesting. I try not to fall into that. Yeah, that's a good idea. <laughs> yeah. um, but, but I'm very aware of who the Jewish players are. Yeah. For sure. Yeah, who are they these days? There used to be Gabe Kapler. Gabe Kapler is Jewish. He's the manager of the Giants now. Yeah. Um, Rowdy Telez. Rowdy Telez? Jewish. Yeah. His Who, the mother, mother passed, passed away. away. Wow, I did not yeah. know that. Uh, Telez being not not a dead giveaway. No, that, really. His dad, right? Um, Ryan LaVarnway, who was in the Blue Jay system, is Jewish. Um, who I don't know if he is anymore. At one point, the Blue Jays had Kevin Pillar and Ty Kelly on the major league team. Mm. And Lavarnway and Telez in the minor leagues, so they had four guys in like double Which is A rare, in the major right? leagues, exceedingly rare. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, and Sean Green, remember Sean Green, absolutely. And he actually engaged himself in the Jewish community. He here. did, and yeah. and he hadn't growing up. Right, I think yeah. he was bar mitzvah, but um, but he sort of had moved away from it or really not done anything. But he he was so overwhelmed by how much the Jewish community here in Toronto embraced him and, and how much they, how interested they were in him and how much they wanted him to be a part of it, that he was, he, he took to it and he started to do some stuff yeah, yeah, yeah. here in Toronto very much. So as you get older, how do you see... Kevin Euclid is Jewish. Kevin Euclid, that's um, right. Nice boy. Yeah. So as you get older, do you uh, see yourself, how do you see your Judaism as you... You know, you've raised, you've raised kids, you're established in your career, you're you're on the other side of I'm always young. Yeah. So how do you see it? I don't think any differently. No? I don't I don't think so. Um no, I think it's just it's it's a central part of who I am and, and it always will be. It's just it like I said before, it informs the way you think and the way you sort of look at the world. And so it's always there. You you don't, you don't walk around and it's not like in your head, it's, there's a loop of I'm Jewish, I'm Jewish, I'm Jewish, I'm Jewish. But, (laughs) but, but you know, there is sort of, (laughs) I guess (laughs) there is, but it's just, that's the way that, that, you know, you, um, engage with the world. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Fascinating to me. I always remember the first time I actually heard you say something about a, a, a hearty muzzle tone. was the first time I ever heard you say something. And I, I looked at my wife and I went, see, that's what I do. You just said it out loud. 
She says, well, you shouldn't say it out loud. They'll all know where we are. <laughs> no, no. He said it out loud. It's a good thing. You know, and it's baseball, which is not exactly a hotbed of Yiddishkeit, you know. Although, you know, there are a couple of good documentaries. There's one that I highly recommend called Jews in Baseball. It's 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 a wonderful uh, uh, story about why, well, baseball isn't a hotbed of Yiddishkeit, but the other way around kind of is, right? Jews in Love the baseball. United States really took to baseball. That's and, true. And, um, and in Canada, too. And there's a huge, huge amount of jewish fandom and and the, there's a, it's a really cool story is, what is it about the sport do you ever have you figured that out no i think that that um like like know. the the documentary suggested that when a lot of them were moving to north america in the 30s the 20s and 30s they found it a really good way to sort of assimilate and and to right. uh you know be part of something um i think it probably works the same for hockey here too um but, you know, it's also more of a cerebral game, yeah. I guess. Oh, yeah. yeah. I mean, the, to me, the literature of baseball has always been one of the more elevated sports journalisms and sports writing. You know, uh, there's been beautiful things written about baseball. CFL football, not so much. Yeah, not so much. Not That's so true. much. And there's been like a Jewish hero for every generation. There was Hank Greenberg and then there was Sandy Koufax. Right. Um, Who is it now? Yeah. Would there be one now? Who is it now? I don't think so. Yeah, I don't. I mean, I, I might have said Alex Bregman until this last little while. Then maybe not. Yeah, maybe not so much now. <laughs> you know, that's the other thing. Once you identify as something, people can decide that you are a representative of it. Yeah, whether you, you want to be or not. Yeah, and do you live up to whatever it is they want? Would you say you're more culturally and Zionistically Jewish, or as opposed to religiously Jewish? Yeah, I think so. I mean, I, I, I. I I think for sure, culturally and and Zionistically, I feel like I do. You know, everybody sort of picks and chooses the rules that they follow. Sure, with regardless of religion, whether you're Jewish or Christian or Muslim or whatever. Um, so Unless they're Orthodox, and then they just say, I, I don't, "This is not an arbitrary thing on my part. I do what I I have to do." This I, I'm not. Sure, I'm 100% with you on that. I still think that, that even there, there are some little, well, this might, you know, interpret right. it this That's way true. or interpret it that way. Um, so, yeah, I, I I mean. Like, you don't go to synagogue regularly outside of the season. Right? I go to synagogue on the high holidays. I'll go um, when there's a, when there's a site, which is a, memorial of someone's passing away my aunt and uncle uh or my aunt my father's sister not only attends because you have to as a as a mourner on the anniversary of a parent's death or a sibling's death you have to say the kaddish and you go to synagogue for that day's prayers um she will do it for her grandparents still too. She feels mm. like she's keeping the tradition that her picking it up from her parents and stuff like that. And um, I don't know, a couple of weeks ago, I think a couple of weeks ago was the anniversary of my grandfather. Yeah. He died at the end of January, my grandfather's death. And it was Super Bowl Sunday. In fact, mm. it was, mm. and um, they were worried that there might not be enough people. A you minion. have to have a minion, ten right? People. Ten people. Yeah. Um, and it, it has been for a long time ten men. The synagogue that they go to has started to count women, I think probably because they've had to, because not enough people were showing up. So um, just for the daily prayers. Uh, so I went because, you know, it's a mitzvah, right, to, right. to go do it and to a make sure deal. they had enough people. Um, so yeah, I went there and, and, um, how do you feel when you're in there at home? Yeah. Or sort of, well, I'm visiting. No. Yeah. I mean, I don't know about it at home. Comfortable. Fine. Like I, I, yeah, you I know the drill. I know how, how everything goes. I could lead a service if I had to. Right. Um, I can read everything. Um, so yeah, comfortable for sure. Yeah. Yeah. Interesting. Shulman's Jewish. Do you guys ever talk about being Jewish at all, or do you just have the code of being Jewish? 
probably the latter. I, I don't, I mean, um, he'll ask me sometimes at the beginning of a season, hey, when's, when's Rosh Hashanah this year or something, you know. <laughs> I don't want to blow this. Right, to figure stuff out. Yeah. Um, but, I mean, he went to the same school I went to. Oh, did he really? Yeah. Which, I didn't know that. I don't know if I've told that. I think I told the story to, uh, to Mike. Uh, but it, it just, I mean, most, if you reach the pinnacle of your profession, like I feel like I have, you know, you're a major league sports broadcaster. Often you're the best. You were the best in your city, never mind, right. you know, your state or whatever. I wasn't even the best in my grade school. <laughs> Wilner, get back in here. <laughs> uh, it's a bit of a vindication, isn't it, to, to, to have a good life, a good career sometimes. Because when we're kids, we think... I don't know how this is going to go. I'm not exactly feeling the love. I think when I was a kid, I, I never imagined that, that this would happen. I, I just sort of figured it would just be like the way it goes. You go to school, you go to university, right. and you, you're either a lawyer or an accountant or something. <laughs> so, I mean, that was the path I was on till early university. But, yeah, I... I what were you going to be? I, I, When I went to university, I thought... I would be an accountant. My father's an accountant, and I don't. Uh, I'm sure that was a tug, and I always liked numbers and stuff like that. Um, but as I moved along, I thought probably I would wind up in law school. I wrote the LSATs. Oh, you did. Yeah, yeah. You know, you just said something that made me realize something. A real disappointment for me is the fetish of statistics in baseball. Really. I can't, I know you love it. It's interesting because. And to me, it's, it takes the soul out of the game. The, the war, the, the runs, reply, like, it's just like speak English <laughs> and talk about human beings trying to play a game that looks simple, but is highly difficult. But, you know, bat speeds, all this stuff. It's just, they do, they did this to football too. They're just the, the sort of, it's almost like weaponizing the sport. Like, trust me, these things really, these analytics are really important. They do it in hockey now. And then they talk about caps and how much you spend. It's the business of sport. You know, when McCallum was doing his show, it was all about looking about the business of mm -hmm. sport. And to me, it was just like, that's not what we're watching. We're not watching to see what the cap, uh, uh, effect is and the luxury tax. We're watching people play a game and seeing if they can do something with it. So that's my rant to that. I know, uh, I mean, Cause I know you love stats uh, only because it's information because it's a, it's a way to quantify what you're seeing. And, and uh, I think the more, you know, the better off you are. I know, but, uh, but if somebody can't see, all of a sudden they can't hit, they've been hitting like, and they can't hit that, so stats mean nothing to me. It's all in their head. They just all of a sudden can't hit. Well, but if but if they but see here's a, a way you can look at it too. If all of a sudden they can't hit, then you look at when they make contact. Are they still hitting the ball as hard as they were before? Then that's exit velocity. Is their bat speed slowed? Um, are they swinging at more pitches outside the zone? Are they? There's a, a lot of things you can look at to see. Do you think that helps this person? Because what I find is, uh, if I was one of those guys and they showed me 14 stats that told me why I'm doing what I'm doing, I'd still get up there and and be reaching halfway across the plate at something I shouldn't have reached at because there's something else emotional and human at play. I'm trying too hard. I think a lot of the time we do sort of forget that part, and and a lot of people look at athletes as robots and that there's no emotion yeah. and 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 i i try to always be cognizant of that that these are human beings doing something and they're certainly fallible and they're prone to slump and they're prone to um, pressure having yeah, a having lot of them great, are kids it's insane yeah. what we ask of them yeah. a lot of them get religious or get into trouble I don't know if it's so much anymore. No? I remember the you know the Blue Jays in the mid '80s were had a, a lot of Bible thumpers on that team. Yeah, uh, Jesse Barfield, who you mentioned, Tony Fernandez, Fernandez yeah. um, a lot of guys. I, I, I mean, you look now, you look at their Twitter profiles, and sometimes there'll be a passage from scripture or um, you know Jesus first or something like that. But I don't know how, What's ma all, how many. How come they're all still pointing at the sky as they touch the home plate? Is that just superstition at this point? I don't know that so many of them still do that. And maybe it's some of them. It's like their father or something, a dead yeah. relative. Yeah. Um, yeah. But there, I mean, there are a lot of. There's a reason that that 
in all those Super Bowl prop pools, one of the questions is when the MVP gets to do his interview, is he going to thank Jesus first or his teammates first? <laughs> so, yeah, there's still a lot of it. But it feels like there there used to be more. Well, it seems to me for some of these younger guys especially, they get through stuff and they get into trouble. Uh, they act out. Uh, and religion helps them to have some sort of compass because the road, it's filled with... Uh, uh, temptations of all kinds, right? Drugs mm-hmm. and women and all kinds of things going on. And that if they don't have something to anchor them, they're really going to get lost in all this because they're wildly famous for about six years. And then nobody remembers. I'm always amazed at somebody who was at the top of their career and within a ha- season and a half, they're out of the major leagues, mm-hmm. just like that. Well, Jose Bautista is, is an example of that. Well, but he was much. near the end of something. I'm talking about guys who were like was... 30, and all of a sudden nobody wants them because they had Tommy John and it didn't work out and things like that. Yeah. It's a tough, it's a tough thing to watch people go through that. It's, no? a, it's, it's a short burst, for sure, in yeah. your career. Uh, and that's why, one, you know, you got to make as much as you possibly can, and, and that's one of the reasons that there's um, there shouldn't be loyalty to a team because because a team has no loyalty yeah, to the player. None, none. And you can see how it breaks their hearts where they, they go public and say, I would love to stay with this team. It doesn't matter. Some of them. Yeah. Some of them are saying that for, for leverage and negotiations. Yeah, yeah. And I mean, like there's that, coldness, right? but you become cold when you realize that your employer could care less about yeah. your life. Yeah. Right? You're more romantic, I think, about it than I am. Well, you know, you see it from its real place. I don't, I don't go into dressing rooms. I don't sit on planes with these guys. I don't, I don't live their life. I don't understand it. But I, I do know that the game, to me, is the magic of the game. It's, it's, not, it's, not, it's not a cold, hard thing. Well, look, when it, we talk about the bat flip, right, right. we don't talk about what the launch angle was right. or what the exit velocity was, right? Or right. how far it went. Or in Joe Carter, I mean, right. you know, did he have a shortened swing? Did he just hold, you know, steady through the, through the strike zone? It's just the more toys we have, and guys are really prone to this, the more toys we have, the more, look, we're almost at the point of automated umpires. Love it. Can't wait. What? Uh, how uh, can you say that? Uh, can't what? wait. Why? I've the human push- element for is, that for decades. No, the human element is one of the beauties of the game. It's just like yes, making it an is. error on the field. No, it isn't. The, <laughs> the, human, the human element should, for me, be centered around the players. The players' human failings and, and human successes. Not the umpires. Whether, um, you know, if a guy throws a strike, it's a strike. Even if the umpire doesn't think it is. And Except they all have their own strike zones. Well, not not so much anymore, but they used to. That was ridiculous too. Yeah, you know, Eric Gregg may rest in peace. Worked the home worked home plate in that uh, playoff game uh, in '97. The Marlins when Levon Hernandez had 15 strikeouts, and half of them were like on called strikes were four feet outside right. because that was his strike zone. Right. Which I mean, so you want a machine to tell us if it's a ball or a strike. And if a guy's safer out, yeah, I want so like the t- in tennis where they can yeah. get a replay and it's on the line. Or oh, a, yeah. wouldn't that be awesome? I think that <laughs> I, I, I honestly think that the success and failure should be based on the human element of the players, not the people who yeah. are. So yes, I, I see the umpires as players. I see them as part of the game itself. Right there, that that and there's video replay now, which I find stultifyingly boring. Yeah, some of it can be. Oh my God! Yeah. How long are you guys going to watch the same replay? This is not you know, uh, you know, Supreme Court case. This is just some guy whose foot hit the bag at the last second. You know. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I don't know. I, I'm not with you on that. I, I like that that uh, umpires call great games or bad games. It's like. You know uh, Kelly Fraser, who called uh, did not Carrie call. Fraser, a, yeah, yeah. Kerry Fraser did not call a, a penalty on on Gretzky uh-huh. that would have probably meant the Leafs had finally gotten to the Stanley yep. Cup on the hundredth anniversary of the Cup against the Montreal Canadiens. Huh. He didn't do it, but to me, that's part. It's like a Bill Buckner moment. You know, the ball went through his legs. Yeah, but that's Kelly Bill, Fra- But yeah. that's someone who's actually playing in the game, not someone who's who's kind of supposed to, to officiate. In the game. But what was his war? 
I don't even know what the hell war means, by the way. Well, wins above replacement. Whatever. What the hell? Like, <laughs> That's what it means. <laughs> who cares? Like, what does that mean? I like, think that for for years and years and years and years, people have been trying to come up with one thing that will measure what a player contributes. Offense and defense and base running and all that stuff. Yeah. And this is what they've come up with. I, I don't talk about war very much. Um I had this discussion with uh, Shulman actually about it years ago, um, well, a few uh, a few years ago, and he said, um, "Unless you can tell me exactly how it's measured, exactly what the formula is, I'm not going to talk about it. I don't go quite that far, but no one can tell you exactly what the formula." Well, is. that's what I mean. And it just makes me feel inadequate, and I'd rather enjoy watching the game instead of thinking they know something I don't. Well, I, I mean, I think that there are ways to... It's, it's like the high the high priests of, of baseball have a, <laughs> a Latin scripture that they can read and understand the player in a way I can't. They can't. They're just looking at the numbers just like you. they should like stop you. it. <laughs> but I, I, it is a bit of... It's a, it's a theoretical construct, and so I, I won't say, hey, this guy's, this guy's war is 5.3 and that guy's is 5.1, so If you do, player I'm, a I'm is texting better. you as soon as you yeah. say it to go, please stop that. Please do. You're 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 just bored. <laughs> just threw it in because you're it's a lousy game and you know it. What do you do in a lousy game? Like there are lousy games where it's just like this no. this is a dog of a game. Like a lot of American broadcasters end up just telling stories to each other and almost ignoring the game. T V broadcasters can do that. Radio can't. No. Right? Because you still have to be the eyes of the people who yeah. are listening. So yeah. I'm still always on the game and, and you know it's funny because um I, I never have any prepared material like I want to talk about X or Y during the game. Oh, really? No, for me, it's just like I, I'm from the Tom Cheek school. Right. The, the game's the star and whatever happens, happens. And and you you tailor what you're talking about to what's going on on the field. But, you know, there are things that will happen that will jog your memory, that will remind you of a story or that will remind right. you of a person. So. You know, and that kind of thing you'll you'll do. But I think when a game is lousy, um, I don't know, you're throwing a couple more out-of-town scores. You talk about what's going on elsewhere in the world of baseball or, or things, and you have your partner to play off. And, right. and uh, you know, wherever, wherever you take each other, that's where you wind up going. Well, I appreciate you taking me on a small journey through what it is to be the Wilner of Mike's. <laughs> we didn't, yeah, we didn't talk about uh, the spirituality Wilner. of baseball that much, but uh, but it was a very interesting journey this hour. Do you, did you think there was something missing in the spirituality of, of, of no, baseball? No, I thought that that was going to be the thing that we. No, no, it was you. I was interested. Well, in. thank you. You know, the the, the muzzle tov guy. That's the guy <laughs> I'm interested in. Our Mike Wilner, who is the uh, voice of the Toronto Blue Jays, uh, eminent broadcaster, sports journalist, and uh, mensch, which is a good thing. Thank you. In case you don't know what a mensch, mensch by the way, uh, folks, is a literally a human being. That That's the highest compliment you can pay, pay, uh, pay someone, is to say that they're a human being. In other words, there's a wholeness to them. They're not just one sliver of their life. They're living their life. So, Wilner the mensch. His war, by the way, is uh, six point to six zero five nine. That's good. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> it's a bunch of crap. Usually, it's one decimal place. By the way, war. It's only see, to one again, decimal. Again, now that helps. You think that helps? One decimal. One decimal place from what? No, I mean it's not. It'll never be six point zero. Oh no, seven, it's, six, it's, it's point six zero. No, it'll be six point one or six point two or six, ten point eight if you're Mike six, Trout. Oh, is that is that yeah. the higher it is, the better it is? Yeah, and it's a this cumulative many wins thing too. Be, if you had replaced me, we would have lost this many games. Is that? That's. I mean, that's that's it, the nonsense it, of it. That's it's silly to say that, but that's what wins above replacement. And there are people who say this guy's a five win player, this guy's a seven win player. Uh, that's, that's not just, the way, but that's not even what the stat means. I'm with Showman. If you, you, if you wanna, can't explain it, then yeah. don't you know? Then forget it. But a win in war, a win is ten runs. If you're worth 10 runs, you get one in war. 
and and that builds from there. Who thought this up? Like, what? Did, get a life. This is not a good thing. A win is ten wins. I, I don't know that it's not a good thing. I, I think it's, it's it's. Yeah, but you want automated rumps, and I don't. I sure do, man. Yes, <laughs> very excited. How about boring! That. And the machine said strike, and the machine said ball. Instead of being able to go. Well, this is an interesting uh, call. I mean, his strike zone's all over. And then all of a sudden, you've got another personality in the game. Yeah, but why not have have uh, a pitcher actually live and die with what he's capable of doing, not just how... Well, he can do that in the batting cage, and they can just automate whether he's in the strike zone or, or something. I don't know. I just I, I like people. I don't Baseball's think, about people. I don't think human beings are capable of accurately calling balls and strikes. I, I just don't think it's possible. Really? Yeah. Especially now when people are throwing harder and balls are moving differently or or But even then, the pitcher gets to decide, this is the ump's game. How do I find myself in this game and maximize his strengths and weaknesses? The ump's strengths and weaknesses. Yeah, but why? There's why a, not? There's the it's strike just, zone. You strategize. If you, if, right? you, if you hit the ball out of, out of the park, it doesn't matter what the umpire thinks. Right, if if you if you hit a ball that bounces in front of the left fielder and he picks it up and the umpire puts his fist up, right, to call him out, that doesn't make yeah, any sense. Why that. should it You're be not different? Not going to change my mind. I don't care how much you know. <laughs> you know a lot. I don't care. Uh, Mike Wilner has been my guest. I'm Ralph Ben Murgy, by the way. This is not that kind of rabbi. I appreciate you hanging with us, and I I hope that you never say war. In public, I really do. Um, at Ralph Ben Murgy is my Twitter handle. Uh, my uh, episodes drop once a week on a Thursday, and you can get us on any of the podcatchers. Please subscribe to us, and uh, we will build the audience as we go, and hopefully have a great time with you, and uh, look at people through a spiritual lens in the things they do and the things that we appreciate them for. Take care of each other. We'll see you soon.
This podcast has been produced by TMDS and accelerated by Rome Phone. Rome Phone brings you the most reliable virtual phone service to run your business and protect your home number 24-7.